in just today. One says, Pastor Brian Kenner, please use this gift toward getting your heating systems back up and running. We are also praying for you and your church during this trying time that God's hand, that God's hand of protection will keep you, your congregation, and your building safe from future thefts. In Christ, the congregation of Risen Hope Community Church, as Pastor um, Steve Woods in, um, in um, um, Random Lake, Wisconsin, and they sent us a check for $700. Praise God for that. Isn't that a blessing? That's a church that's uh, no bigger than ours. Um, Brian and Heidi had have have had the opportunity to minister God's word there. And I've had, years ago, have had the opportunity to do that as well. Uh, here's another uh, note. We heard about the break-in in your church and wanted to help. Keep proclaiming Christ. The devil can never stop the church. The gates of hell would not stop the church. Our love and prayers are with you. God bless your church family and may he abundantly, abundantly um, meet and exceed all your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. This is from uh, the Pullis family. Daniel and Sarah Pullis. We thank God for that. Check with $100 was sent with that as well. So praise God. God has, has um, blessed um, many who have responded to the need that we have here. And I just wanted to share uh, those two because they just came in today. So Praise God for that. What an encouragement that is, that God wants his word to continue, and he has people all over who, who hear about us and, and uh, have given to us, and, and I know uh, some have uh, contacted me, and I know there's, there's more to come, so praise God for that. All right. <clears throat> Still rejoicing over Sunday and our service and the uh, program from, from our Sunday school group. Praise God for that. Uh, tonight we'll be looking at Proverbs 22, so turn there in your Bible. Read through Proverbs 22 together. So um, someone just start and read a few verses. If you want to read two or three, just wherever you stop, the next person will. I'll pick up. Find your ear and hear the words of the wise, and apply your heart to my knowledge. For it will be pleasant if you keep them within you, if all of them are ready on your lips, that your trust may be in the Lord. I have made them known to you today, even to you. I want to start off at verse 17. Incline your ear and hear the words of the wise and apply your heart to my knowledge. For it will be pleasant if you keep them within you, if all of them are ready on your lips, that you trust, that your trust may be in the Lord. I've made them known to you today, even to you. So um, I started with there because that just seems like almost a heading to go with all of the Proverbs, and particularly this proverb here, 
It's saying God has given wisdom. Where does wisdom come from? We won't get it by just laying in our beds and contemplating. Um, we will get it by taking in God's word. And so we need to make a habit of reading regularly God's word. Well, reading alone won't do it, will it? Ask God to give you instruction. Um, there's a verse, I don't know if I marked it, let's see. Um, verse 12. The eyes of the Lord keep watch over knowledge, but he overthrows the words of the traitor. I wonder if he means there when he says he keeps watch over knowledge. It's almost sounding like God guards knowledge. And not just anybody can have it. You know, it's like it's guarded. You know. it, there are secret, we call them secret, um, and sometimes people take that the wrong way. Like there's this secret club. and People get prideful when they know things. They think other people don't know as much as them. But in terms of spiritual truth, God gives it. It tells us in James, if we lack wisdom, let's ask of God, he'll give it. So he will give us what we need. The secret really is asking him and go about getting it the way that he tells us to get it. He says in, in Matthew 7, 7, ask and you shall receive. He wants us to desire wisdom for ourselves and he wants us to come to him for it. Think about it. So oftentimes we need wisdom and we go to everybody else, maybe but God. We need to go to God. Then let me reverse that too. Sometimes we ask God for wisdom and don't receive the wisdom that he gives to us through others. So that goes both ways, right? God, but understand this. All wisdom comes from God. He wants us to come to him and ask for it. Kind of like um, when, when our kids were, were young, we'd tell them if you need something, like they want to get something to eat, and they would want to just grab whatever they want, right? Well, a small kid will grab a piece of candy and that's what they want to eat. We tell them, no, you don't just grab what you want. You ask me for what it is you want and I'll tell you when you can eat and what you can eat. And we don't like that. Well, you treat me like a child. Uh, no, God tells us where to get the wisdom from and, and, and how to get it. We need to come to him for what we need and then depend on him uh, to give it. When it comes to wisdom, he says he doesn't hold back. He doesn't hold back. He gives us what we need, but we do have to ask him. The asking is a humble, it's a humble act on our regard um, so that we recognize we need, we need, we need. We don't have, we need, and we need to acknowledge that to God. And so the, the, the Proverbs just kind of start like that. Listen to God and be open to what he's saying. How does God give us wisdom? Come from his word. Um, it can come from his word directly as we read it. It can come from his word indirectly as we read it and someone else helps us understand what it is we're reading. Acts chapter eight, um, um, God sent Philip to a man who was reading his word and Philip asked the man, do you understand what you're reading? He says, no, how can I unless somebody explain it to him. Well, that's exactly what God has sent Philip there for, to explain him. So this man was an intelligent man. He was a government official. Uh, he understood, he was educated, but he didn't understand God's wisdom or the scriptures. 
and God sent him a person right alongside to help him understand. So um, God does give us wisdom and he gives it his way. Let me pick up a few other things here. Um, one is in verse 6 and verse 15. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. This is a principle of teaching children. It says basically start early. Start early. And then it says train them. We don't let our children grow up. We train them up. In other words, grow up is like randomly they're out there, hey boy, you know, you better get yours. You better figure out how, how this thing works and get yours. No, we don't just throw them out there and let them figure it out. We train them. Now, what does train mean? It has to do with disciplining them. Don't just give a child everything they want because they want it. They don't know what they actually need. As I mentioned, that, uh, feeding children, um, yeah, they'll, they'll choose the potato chips and the popcorn and the candy bars all day long. They won't say, Mom, can I have some spinach? Mom, can I have broccoli? Can I have a carrot? Until you train them to... Uh, to, to eat that way. So we do need to train them. It says when he's old, he will not depart. So we train them early so that we can set the pattern of discipline for them in their lives. And they won't stray from that pattern of discipline. Um, my father was a, a very orderly person. And I remember um, <laughs> he had told us we were playing checkers. Uh, me, and, me and some of our siblings were playing checkers. And it was time for us to do like clean up or do something else. And he said, he was mad. He said, put the game away. And so uh, I said, we're not finished yet. He said, well, I said, put the game away. So he, he, I was supposed to put the game away. And as I was putting the game away, I was counting the checkers to make sure I had all the checkers. He kind of got impatient with that. Like, I just told you to put them away. I didn't tell you to go through and count them and take your time and do it your way. But what he didn't realize, he had taught me a system of order. I was probably eight or nine years old, and I was already practicing what he taught me. I didn't know any other way but to stack them, and as I was stacking, I was counting, you know, make sure I had a 12, 12, 12 red, 12 black, whatever number it's supposed to be. Um, and, and so his training had already been a part of me. That's one thing that he would have done. Um, he, didn't, he didn't, at that moment of anger, he didn't realize that, hey, he's being just like I am. <laughs> orderly, organized, and putting things together. He didn't, I just didn't grab them all and throw them in a box. Um, but that's the point. When we train our children, um, we discipline them and set those practices and patterns for them. You know, kids don't want to do homework all the time. They rather draw. It's the time to draw, it's time to do homework. They don't want to practice piano. Um, even when they're good at it, they don't always want the discipline of hard work to practice. No, I want you to sit there for 30 minutes and you're going to practice your right hand, your left hand. You're going to do those things that, those skills that you need to develop. Um, athletes, professional athletes, hire trainers. Why is that? <laughs> you can answer me now. Anybody? Wow. Yes, they need somebody to help structure the plan that they agree on, but they find hard to carry it out without somebody else's help. Um, and so we, that, that training is good. Look what's also a part of training in verse 15. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. So what is he saying? Folly is bound up 
in the heart of a child. First part, what, what makes sense of that? Folly is bound up in the heart of a child. Mm-hmm. Exactly. They naturally do things that may be unsafe, they think it's fun, um, but we know it can be foolish or lead to something very foolish. Oh, mom, I'm all right. No, that's not how you handle scissors. You know, that's not how you walk with a knife. No, I don't want you pull, pulling the top off for that, reaching for a plate on the top of the stove. Um, you know, you don't put a can of soup in the microwave. <laughs> you like to see the sparks, right? <laughs> all kinds of things. If you don't tell them no, they'll do a whole bunch of stuff. Just let kids be kids. No, teach them what is right. So um, folly is, is bound in the heart. Um, if you let them do things, they will do those things that even that are harmful to, to them. But then it says, um, but the rod of discipline drives it far from them. A couple things is mentioned in there. The rod is exactly what it says. It is an instrument of discipline that was used. Now, we need to use it correctly. But let's talk about discipline in general, first of all. Discipline is not always something that a person wants, but it's something that a person needs. Even we as adults need discipline. Coming up to the new year, how many of us are gonna you know, say, hey, I need to exercise more, I need to, eat better, all those things that I, I have to remind myself to discipline myself to do. Um, and so it's a part of our lives, and we need some, the rod provides the structure to the discipline. Um, and so we don't always discipline ourselves the way that we should. We need help. We need somebody else to, to help um, be accountable, to hold us accountable, to, to do the things that we need to do. So the parent is, is holding that child accountable to do what they have been told to do. That's our role as parents. Sometimes it means punishing that child. It could be removing something that they like, giving them uh, uh, something that they don't like. It could be a, a chore, a task, uh, uh, or, or something that's unpleasant to them. And it could very well be a spanking. Uh, I know the world want to talk about that in a bad way, but the Bible fully endorses that done in a proper way. If we don't know how to do it, um, that's why, uh, was it in Titus chapter 2, um, let the older men teach the younger men. Let the older women teach the younger women. Let the grandmas teach the mothers and teach the, the young mothers exactly how to carry that out so you can do it in an effective and loving way. But don't throw it out as something that's, that's not appropriate. When the Bible says it certainly is appropriate, needs to be done in the right way. Um, so uh, we can learn how to do that. And it says effective discipline drives foolishness out of the life of a child. And, and how true that is. I still have a mark on my arm. When I was five years old, uh, my mother was boiling hot dogs. That's how we didn't have microwaves back then. Newsflash, right? For some of y'all younger, uh, we boiled everything on the stove, and she was boiling, and I was hungry, and I reached up on the stove, and the pot of boiling water was spilled on my arm. Now, why do I remember that? How many years now? Is that uh, 59 years later? Um, 
I still remember that very day. Why? Because it was very painful, right? And I'm sure I was told not to do that many times. But in my impulsive foolishness, I reached up there. That's what five-year-olds do, right? You say, Mom, should be watching do this or whatever. But that's what five-year-olds do. And that's why you instruct them or warn them. Um, but the discipline of everything that happened after that taught me right now to this day. I make sure that the handle of the pot is turned away from the front of the stove so it couldn't just accidentally be bumped. And so I learned a valuable lesson that I practice to this day. I'll tell you another lesson I learned that's a little funnier. We, um, we ate our cornflakes a certain way. And as kids, we used to, we used to um, put the milk in a bowl, throw the cornflakes, throw the weeds, whatever cereal is there, and then we take mounds of sugar, right? And just cast it right on the cornflakes, and we eat that. Well, as soon as you finish eating the sugar that's on top of that last flake that you put in your mouth, there's no more sugar in the bowl or not enough. So you throw some more sugar on there. You take another few scoops, and you ain't got enough sugar. So you throw enough sugar. By the time you finish all of the cornflakes, there's all this sugar at the bottom of the bowl that you, you just kind of wasted. So my father taught us, he said, look, this is how you do your cereal in the morning. You pour some milk, you take two scoops of sugar, and you put it in, and you stir it up. Till you can't hear any of this sugar scraping at the bottom of the bowl anymore. It's all dissolved in the milk. Then you pour your cornflakes in. And now, with each spoonful of cornflakes, you got some sugar. And when you finish, you don't have, like, lumps of sugar in the bottom. <laughs> he was teaching that because he didn't want to waste sugar. And also, when you got five boys and one girl, and we went through a gallon of milk every breakfast, every day. Yeah. <laughs> so there was a reason for that. My point is this. You know what? I hated doing that when I was a kid. I just wanted to lump the sugar on and put as much sugar as I wanted. To this day, I still do my cornflakes that way. Why? Because I, I was taught that way and I can't stop doing it, right? It's like it's become a part of me. And so I taught our kids, you know, so things are passed down. Disciplines, good or bad, that's a funny one. Uh, it's no big deal, right? We don't even have we all our uh, cereals pre-sweetened anyway, so you just throw it in a bowl and throw some milk on it. But that stayed with me. A discipline is passed down. I learned it, good or bad. I'll continue to practice the things that that discipline has been driven into me to do. Another thing that we had to do in our household, um, usually, my father would see us eating. He said, "You know, one, did you say your grace? You had to say grace before we ate, and you pray for our food." We also had to read a devotion before we ate breakfast. And we had this little thing that had like a little, it was a little, almost like a piggy bank kind of thing sitting on the table. And it had uh, a little card in it. All these cards, you take one and it had a verse for the day. And we had to read that. And, 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 and it was a little small, short devotion. So we had to read one of those before we eat or, you know, before we finished eating. That taught me the practice of daily reading God's Word. Now, everybody doesn't have to do everything the same way, but it was a practice of when I, when I ate and didn't read, I felt like, uh-oh, 
I'm missing something. And so right now I pull the Bible next to me and do some reading, usually while I'm eating, or at least it remind me, have I read today? Have I taken in God's word? I'm taking in these Wheaties, these cornflakes. Have I taken in some nourishment from God's word? And so just those goofy things that, that I learned, um, but the disciplines that still stay with me um, years later afterwards because um, my parents wanted to instill godly principles in me. So um, that's one of the ways that God gives us wisdom. Think about how you uh, pass wisdom down to your kids and what ways you, you practice that in your own life and what ways is God teaching you um, to practice just some basic um, wisdom of taking in his word and feasting on his word. Thanks for our meditation today. <coughs> we'll delve into Ezekiel 8. Thank you guys for the prayers. Missed last week because of sickness. I'm still covering all the way, but thank God. Ezekiel 8. And I love the book of Ezekiel. Now, I love every book in its own way. You know, they all they all got their own way that you should love them. And sometimes when you don't love a book, it's just because you don't understand it yet. Okay? But the reason that I love the book of Ezekiel is because, to me, Ezekiel is like an artist. Okay? And I'm an artist. Not so much in the visual sense, but in other ways. And so I love art. And Ezekiel always likes to paint a picture with his words and it's amazing to me it just it, it shows me how rich God's word is because if you listen to certain people right and I'm not mad at these people but there are certain people who break God's word down and they make it seem like it's a math book a math book sorry my voice be cutting off sometimes they make it like a math book it's formulas right one, two, three, four, five, six. Add this, add that. And if you got a mathematical brain, that's fine for you. But, you know, not everybody is like that. It's still good to learn that way because there are some parts of God's Word that are like, right? So you go through and you look at Psalm 119. Psalm 119 has 22 sections, and each section has eight verses. And the reason it's the longest chapter in the whole Bible is because each eight section, each eight verse section is one letter of the Hebrew Bible. And as you go through it, what you understand is there is an order to it. Each section, the first word starts with a letter. So it's going through the ABCs and the whole chapter is about the goodness of God's word. So you go through it and it has a certain order to it. And there's lots of scriptures like that that have certain order to it. But the beauty of God's word is that God mixes in so many different ways. Don't discount one way because you don't think that way, you know. There are some mathematical ways to look at God's word, and there's nothing wrong with it. But there are also songs in the Bible, right? We just look at a whole book of songs, right? God even writes songs. There's visions in the Bible. God wants us to see his word. There are stories in the Bible. God wants you to imagine his word. 
There's jokes in the Bible. There's sad stories in the Bible. There's tragedies. There's anger. There's loss. There's gain. Even as we look through what God calls his law, it's a collection of stories. But there is a book, Leviticus, that almost is just pure law. And what I get from that is this. God is trying to teach us in many different ways. Right? So if you're a lawyer, you might look, Leviticus might be your favorite book. I don't know. Because it's like a law book. And it just so happens that Ezekiel is an artist and he paints an image with his words. So what I'll do, because my voice is cutting out, what we'll do is let's have um, some readers. Okay? So I'm going to just give out a section and we'll just get some volunteers and then we'll read it all together. Okay? So somebody who wants to read verse 1 through 4. Brother Chris will. Somebody read 5 and 6. Mom will. Somebody read 7 through 13. These sections are not equal. 7 through 13, Chantel will. 14 and 15, a short section. Dad will. And then 16 through 18. Okay. All right. So let's just read those in there. Just we'll just go straight through your sections, okay? Go ahead. just explain what we see here, okay? And I kind of want to just explain what we see and then let's just explain what we should get from this. Ezekiel is in his own house. And it just so happens that some of the leaders of the Jews were in his house meeting with him and they were trying to say, hey, what has the Lord got to say to you today, Ezekiel? And while they were there seeking, the Lord met with Ezekiel, Okay? And so the Lord met with Ezekiel. Now, when the Lord met with Ezekiel, he didn't see the same image that he saw in chapter 1 and in chapter 2. You'll notice the first image he sees is like a son of man, okay? But this son of man is a lot like the image that he saw in chapter 1 and 2. And then this son of man brings him to God the Father, right? And he brings him to God the Father, and then it's almost like a video happens, okay? And so just imagine yourself as a drone. And if you follow the path of the drone, what it does is it goes into the temple grounds, and it keeps going deeper, okay? So what happens is the first image that God shows him is he says, hey, man, look at what they got at the entrance of the temple. And he looked, and there's I. And then he says, hey, you know, dig in here, right? So he got to break in a wall. And what God did first is God had a little crack in the wall that he was like, dig in there and break through that crack. You're going to see something in there. So he digs through the crack, and he looks further, and he sees all these people worshiping, and they're covered with bugs and roaches, right? So imagine it almost like that, you know, Indiana Jones scene where it's like bugs covering everywhere. But these people are worshiping these idols, but they covered with just filth, right? And then he said, let's go further. And so they go further. 
And then they go to this place where these ladies are weeping. And you may not understand the cultural reference, but the cultural reference is that they are worshiping basically this tree god. And the tree god, as you know, trees, the leaves go away in the fall. And so the, 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 the image is that that god dies in the fall, but he comes back in the spring. Okay? And so these ladies are weeping, but it's God. That's why they're weeping. And then they go into the innermost part of the court. And the innermost part of the court is where God is supposed to be, okay? And these people have their backs turned to God, but they're worshiping the sun. Right? So all these things are going. And then he uses this phrase, he said, they got the branch to their nose. And you may not understand that phrase, but what that essentially means is they put the, net, they put the knife to their own necks, is what he's saying. Look what they do. Look what they do. Now, let's say what we should get from this. And we're going to go full circle. We'll start at the beginning and we'll go back to the end and then come back to the beginning, okay? Ezekiel is meeting with these men and they say they want to hear from God and they do or they hear from God and when Ezekiel hears from God who meets him it's the son of man it's Jesus Jesus leads the path to the father there's lots of people who say oh I believe in God but do you believe in Jesus because if you don't believe in Jesus only Jesus leads the way to God there's lots of gods out there you haven't arrived at the right God if Jesus didn't lead you. Allah is not the same. Buddha is not the same. If Jesus didn't lead you to the side of God, you're not at the right God. If you worship God, God will show you truth. And if people seek you out to hear the truth, and God gives you the truth, you got a tough choice to make. Because God will show you the truth. And I will note that the first image is really ugly. Because sin is ugly. And when you see sin and you see it for what it really is, it's really ugly. Lots of people had a hard time looking at the images of what happened in Palestine. It really troubled me. I only saw one minor image, and it still bothers me. It was an image of a lady who got thrown into the back of a pickup truck. Her leg was bent at a weird angle. You could just tell she was dead. And, you know, I'm going to just say what happened to her. She was assaulted after she was already dead. When people look at this stuff and they say, oh, it's Israel, oh, it's Palestine, what they want to do is they want to whitewash the sins of men. But do you see what the violence looks like? And then when you actually see it, are you daring to not pick a side? That's why people don't like when people hold up signs of what an abortion actually looks like. But do you see what you did? will hold up signs and they'll say, hey man, did you see this violence that happened over here? Just the other day, a 10-year-old got shot up in the streets not too far from my house. 30-something in hell. 
What does a shot up 10-year-old look like? Somebody needs to see that. Not so they can have bad dreams, but so they can know what the gangster life looks like. It's not diamond necklaces and rollies and holes and all this stuff. It's not that. It's 10-year-olds dead in the street. That's gangster lifestyle. Somebody need to see that. It's ugly. But people always style themselves as they styling when they worship their false gods. But when you pull back the curtains, it's not as pretty as they're making it out to be. Look at P. Diddy getting exposed in the news. Why is he getting exposed? Because he done done some stuff worth exposing. But if you look at him, he glamorous. He look and he said, he got songs saying fresh gear too. He talking all the time about how he looking good. But he's not looking good so right now. But the reason is, he's seeing the reality of what his life looks like. He's messed up. Now, it just so happened the lady with him was messed up too. And she trying to act like it's all him. It's, all, it's her too. They all messed up. But when they show up on the red carpet, you might want to beat him. But don't beat him. When he shows the ladies, what he shows is, we might say, oh, it's these powerful men that's the problem. It's everybody that can see. Everybody can see. From the powerful to the low. Seeing affects us all. I'm also pointing out something else. Sometimes God will point out some names. Did you see that in verse 11? Somebody got named in the Bible for eternity as somebody who was doing wrong, right? He said, and look who was among them. He said his name. God calls out sin. God is offended. But here's the beauty of it. If you call on the name of the Lord, he will respond. He'll respond with his son. His son will lead you to him. And if you are led to him, you will see the truth. Now the question is, what you're going to do? Got to remind me of that song. Now that we found love, what are we going to do with it? Now that we found truth, are we going to do something with it? Or are we going to act like we didn't see it? It is oppressive. Or are we going to act accordingly? So my meditation today is as we go through God's sometimes we ought to see ourselves as we really are which means we got to repent but the good thing is that God does provide a path to repentance other times you might be the Ezekiel where God is calling on you to spread his truth sometimes even calling out names. But lastly, there are some people who pretend to come for good reason. And as we see in chapter 8, and it's going to continue, chapter 9 and chapter 10, these men who claim to come to Ezekiel to hear the truth, they really didn't want it. The 
pretend to be holy. Same reason people come to church and they be doing everything which thing. They pretend. You'll see it as it goes on. You know what you should do. Here's what happened. And I'll tell it to you like this. I was witnessing to a guy once. And he agreed with what I said was true. This is what he told me. But these girls is too good right now. And what he basically was saying was this. I know what you're telling me is true. But I know if I agree with you, I will have to stop sinning. And I don't want to. Some people just have a hard time. They may be confronted with the truth, and they have a hard time saying no to themselves. It's really hard to say no to yourself. It is easy, it's way easier said than done. The Bible says we become slaves to sin. Another way you could put it is we become addicted. Right? We become addicted. And here's the other thing that happens is oftentimes our sin, we can excuse it for us, but we can get on somebody else, right? There was a podcast, right? And a dude asked a person, and he said, hey, if a man is a dog, right, he asked a lady this, and I'm sure the opposite would have been the same thing. He asked a lady this, he said, hey, if a man is a dog for 10 years, and he decided to change up, should he be able to marry a good woman? And she was like, no, he's been a dog his whole life. Then he turned around and said, hey, if a woman is a whore, and then after 10 years she decided to change it up, should she be able to get married to a good man? He said, of course, she deserves love. What was happening? Same problem, same sin. But because she could see herself in the other, but not in the one, she condemned the one, but it's the ego. That's what sin does to us. Sin fools us. We start thinking that we good. Sometimes we even think we can control it. It's kind of like a drunk guy. You ever had a drunk guy and he think he could drive home? They think they in control. But you see them leaning against the wall. They can't even stand straight, but they don't even know. That's what sin does to us. We think we stand. We don't. That's unbelievable. It's not for us to say, we're not saying it in a way of arrogance, but we're saying it is, it's easy to get lost. If it wasn't for this word, we would all be lost. If it wasn't for us brothers and sisters keeping each other accountable, sometimes people got to kick me up in the butt sometimes. Be like, Brian, what you doing? I'm like, oh my goodness, what was I doing? You got to be humble sometimes because you can fall quick. That's why I'll be thankful. People, I, I don't know how people don't come to church a lot. It keeps me on straight and narrow. Because I know where I would be <laughs> if I wouldn't. I'm not a good person. It's God who keeps me. Anyways, I'm going to the Lord. Let's pray. Into our prayer time here. Let me turn this off real quick. All right. At this time, before we break up to our small groups, we'll make mention of any prayer requests you want to bring publicly to the church. We can gather 
night. Um, one and two. Lauren saw you first, and then Donna. Got the truck still, right? <laughs> Praise God. 